verse 39. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls. The results of Peter's message are recorded for us by Luke. After Peter with many words testified and exhorted them, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 were added to the church. Acts 2.41 again, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. In the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Peter's sermon shows us how the Spirit of God takes the gospel and works in people's hearts. In verses 38 to 41, we see God's glorious work of conversion. Peter describes the human and divine sides of conversion. This faith is expressed through baptism, a public declaration of one's faith in Christ. All who turn from sin and trust in Jesus will be indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And then the divine side of conversion involves God's sovereign activity. Peter says that the Lord is calling people to himself, Acts 2.39. The Lord's active work in the hearts of rebellious people give us hope in evangelism. Keep lifting up Christ and pray for the Spirit to convict people and lead them to repentance. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. The divine side of conversion. 3,000 saved. Don't miss out on that one On that one day. 3,000 at one event. The Lord brought 3,000 to himself. Peter urged the crowd to turn from their personal sins, as well as the sins of their generation, and many of them did. This great harvest on the day of Pentecost established a new community, which is described for us in Acts 2, 42-47. And the Bible says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one, in one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness, and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved, continued steadfastly. A steadfast people, Acts 2.42, four, four things that marked the infant church as they were a steadfast people. Number one, truth. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. The Holy Spirit was already beginning to fulfill Christ promised that he would bring to the remembrance of the apostles all the teaching of Jesus and open their minds and hearts to new truth suited for a new age. First and foremost came the apostles' doctrine, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They had the truth. And number two, fellowship. New links of love were formed that day. A new community created. John wrote later, We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. 1 John 3.14 They had the truth. They had fellowship. And number three, the Lord's Supper. And then breaking of bread. The ordinary communal meal would have been included under fellowship. 
But here we have reference to the Lord's Supper. The Lord's last request before he went to the cross was, This do in remembrance of me, 1 Corinthians 11.24. The early disciples at once began to incorporate the Lord's Supper. They had truth, they have fellowship, they have the Lord's Supper, and number four, prayer. They had prayer, and in prayers. The name of Jesus opened up prayer opportunities never before known. For now they had instant access to the throne of grace and the great high priest Jesus who sets upon it. So the early church, the steadfast church that continued steadfastly, they had the truth, they had fellowship, they had the Lord's Supper, and they had prayer. So they were a steadfast people, but they also were a sanctified people. Acts 2.43a, And fear came upon every soul. The infant church was holy. It was fresh from the hand of God, pristine in purity, untouched as yet by many any wrongful act. So fear came upon every soul. Those who were in the church feared lest they defile and disgrace the fellowship of blood-washed saints. Oh, that church members everywhere had the same kind of attitude. They feared lest they defile and disgrace the fellowship of blood-washed saints, lest they bring a scar or a mark or a bad, uh, evil reproach or a bad reproach or a bad name to God's people. They feared lest they do that. They were also a spectacular people, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, Acts 2.43. The infant church had more than purity, it had power. The gift of the apostles included the power to work miracles. An ungrieved Holy Spirit poured out his power upon these men, and soon Jerusalem ran with stories of miraculous healings. It was as though Jesus of Nazareth were back, and so he was. Now it was his body the church that was the vehicle of the divine power and not the material body in which he had lived in when he was in the flesh on the earth. A spectacular people, but they also were a single people. And all that believed were together and had all things common. It was a true body, each member caring for each other member of the body. A unified body, a single people. They also, it was a sacrificial people, Acts 2.45, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. The sharing of the early church was spontaneous and motivated by the Holy Spirit's love. It was not a totalitarian system clamped on people against their will. This was no government or ecclesiastical welfare program. This was not cold charity. This was body at work. This was the hand caring for the foot, the eye looking out for the ear. This was love, not law. This was compassion, not compulsion. They were a sacrificial, caring, loving, united, spectacular people. But they also were a successful people. Acts 2.47 And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. The Lord adds members to this church daily, daily. Psalm 127.1, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. The Lord was building this house, and he was adding to this house daily. When we do the work of the Lord, we do our church work, is it based on him? Do we acknowledge that it's his work? Do we build it by faith? Do we do our church work, our 
our programs, our, our whatever we do in our church, do we do it all by faith? Or are we pragmatic about it? Do we believe in that if we do it just this way, have just this certain program, just this certain uh, way of conducting the services, that, that we can build this church, we as in us, me, or my team, or do we do it by faith? Except the Lord build a house. They labor in vain that build it. Men might can build a church with their own effort. But the Bible says they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord build the house. They labor in vain that build it. Next, 2.47. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. It is the Lord that should be building a church. It is the Lord that should be adding members to the church. We need to do everything that the Lord would have us to do. We need to work hard. We need to be dedicated to him. But we need to build it his way, by faith, trusting in him, and not pragmatically by what we think we can do to increase numbers. It needs to be about the Lord. It's his house. Let him build it. We need to work hard and do our part, but he builds. He builds. Except the Lord build the house. They labor in vain to build it. 120, Psalm 127, verse 1. So, to wrap up chapter 2. The Christians you meet in the book of Acts were not content to meet once a week for services as usual. They met daily, Acts 2.46. They cared daily, Acts 6.1. They won souls daily, Acts 2.47. They searched the scriptures daily, Acts 17.11. And increased in number daily, Acts 16.5. Their Christian faith was a day-to-day -day reality, not a once-a-week routine. Why? Because the risen Christ was a living reality to him. And his resurrection power is at work in their lives through the Spirit. The promise is still good. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Acts 2.21, Romans 10.13 Have you called? Have you trusted Jesus Christ to save you? Are you telling others of this good news? Now let's look at Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, you can read verses 1 through 10 in Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. Now objectives and study in chapter 3. To study the healing of the lame man which we just read about, noting various aspects of that miracle. And to examine Peter's second gospel sermon, his call to repent, and the blessings that follow. Chapter 3 opens with Peter and John going to the temple where they encounter a man lame from birth begging for alms at the gate called Beautiful. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Peter commands him to rise up and walk. Taking the lame man by the right hand and lifting him up, the man is healed instantly 
and completely. Walking, leaping, and praising God, he accompanies Peter and John into the temple to the wonder and amazement of the crowd. On Solomon's porch, Peter explains that the healing occurred by faith in the name of Jesus. God has glorified his servant Jesus, the Holy One, and the Just One, the Prince of Life, whom they denied and killed, but whom God raised from the dead as witnessed by Peter and John. While their crimes were done in ignorance, even foretold and fulfilled by God, they are commanded to repent and turn. Those that do are promised to have their sins blotted out and experience other blessings from Jesus who remain in heaven until the times of restoration of all things. Those who do not heed Jesus will be utterly destroyed as foretold by Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 18. As sons of the prophets and of the covenant God made with Abraham to bless all families through his seed, Genesis 22:18. to them first God has sent Jesus to bless them and turning them away from their iniquities. Now let's look at circumstances of this miracle. The circumstances surrounding the miracle were the crossing of two habits. The one was the habit of Peter and John in going to the temple. The other was the habit of the lame man to be carried to the temple to beg. Even after the new church had formed, the disciples continued to attend services at the temple. Now characteristics of the miracle. The miracle was unexpected. It was alms for which the man was begging. It was healing that he received. The miracle was performed in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk, Acts 3.6. The miracle was instantaneous. The miracle was complete. The man was not partially healed, but completely healed. The response of the crowd, the people saw the lame man walking and praising God. The people know him as the one who begged alms at the beautiful gate. They are filled with wonder and amazement at what happened. As the lame man holds on to Peter and John, the people run to them in Solomon's porch. Now let's look at the consequences of the miracle. As a result of this miracle, three things happened. One, joy. The man was filled with joy. He leaped up as soon as he realized that his feet and ankle bones had been healed. Number two, praise. God received praise as a result of this miracle. The man went to the temple with Peter and John praising God for what he had done. And number three, testimony. An incredible testimony to the power of God and a testimony to the righteousness of the cause. The actions and teachings of the apostles was testified to as a result of this wonderful miracle performed at the temple. Here was a well-known character whom they had seen for years begging at the same stand. Now he was walking. Now he was leaping. Now he was praising God. Now he was thanking God. Now he was healed. Now he was whole. This caused such amazement among those who were at the temple that very quickly a crowd gathered in the area known as Solomon's Porch. This miracle of physical healing is rightly seen as an illustration of spiritual healing. The lame man serves as an excellent picture of the helplessness and hopelessness of the sinner, whose only hope is believing in the name of Jesus Christ, Acts 4.12. When one believes in him, they instantaneously receive complete salvation, which brings joy to the sinner, praise to God, and testimony to others. When the miracle was explained, Peter questions why the crowd marveled. Why look at Peter and John so intently, as though by their own power or godliness they made this man walk? God has glorified his servant Jesus, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of their fathers, has glorified Jesus whom they delivered up and denied, the Holy One and Just One, whom they denied and asked, they asked for a murderer to be granted to them, the Prince of Life, whom God raised up, of which Peter and John are witnesses. It was through faith in his name 
that made the man strong. So now let's look at the theme of Peter's message. Acts 3, 13 to 18. The God of Abraham, and of Isaac, and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his son Jesus, whom he delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate, when it was determined to let him go, but ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, wherefore we are witnesses, and his name through faith in his name hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I want that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all of his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. As at Pentecost, the theme of Peter's message was this, Jesus, whom you killed, is the Messiah. Almost as remarkable as the healing of the lame man, and we will briefly ponder it here, is the transformation of Peter. For the same man, two months prior, had denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times, and now he is boldly proclaiming Christ to crowds of thousands of people, many of which are very hostile to what he was saying. Yet here Peter is again, boldly proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. Peter, in his sermon, designated the Savior in five ways and made five statements about him. The five designations were, number one, his son. This would immediately identify him as deity, incarnate, the son of God that had come in the flesh. Number two, Jesus. This linked Messiah to the man of Nazareth by that name, who was only too well known to this crowd of people. And number three, Holy One. This asserted his perfect equality with God. Number four, just. This asserted his innocence to the charges he was put to death for. This asserted his righteousness his sinlessness, and his perfect nature. And number five, Prince of Life. This means literally the author or leader of life. This established his preeminence overall. And then he made five statements, five specific statements. Number one, hath glorified. The man they crucified has been glorified and exalted by God. Number two, whom ye delivered up. The same one you caused to be crucified is the Messiah. Peter is telling them they were responsible. Jesus was crucified because of what they did, as, and it is in the same sense he was crucified for what we did as well. Number three, denied him. They denied his innocence. They falsely accused the Messiah. Number four, killed. They were not only responsible for Jesus being crucified, but the blood of guilt is upon them for this deed. Though they did it through ignorance, Peter tells them. And number five, whom God hath raised from the dead, wherefore we are witnesses. This Jesus of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, did not stay in the grave, as ordinary men do, but he rose up from the grave victorious over death, and there are many witnesses to the fact standing before you. Acts 3.19 Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Matthew Henry had these comments on this verse. Repent. They must think of what they had done amiss, must return to their right mind, submit to the convictions of it, and begin anew. Be converted. They must face about and direct both their faces and steps the contrary way to what they have been. They must return to the Lord their God, from whom they have revolted. They must not only exchange the profession of Judaism for Christianity, 
but the power and dominion of a carnal, worldly, sensual mind for that of the holy, heavenly, and divine principles of affections. Sins may be blotted out. The remission of sin is the blotting of it out, as a debt is crossed and blotted out when it is remitted. It intimates that when God forgives sin, he remembers it no more against the sinner. It is forgotten. All the bitter things written against the sinner are wiped out, as it were with a sponge. It is the canceling of a bond, the vacating of a judgment. And John Phillips stated the following on the second half of this verse. Acts 3.19 again, Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. John Phillips made this comment about when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. The term, the times of refreshing, refers to those Old Testament prophecies that promised that before the return of Christ, there would be an outpouring of the Spirit, and that many Jews would repent and turn to God in preparation for the Millennial Kingdom. Deuteronomy 31-3, Joel 2-28-32, Zechariah 12-10-14. But the national principle was clear, no repentance, no refreshing. The individual principle was the same, no repentance, no refreshing. Those who did repent came at once into the good of that refreshing poured out at Pentecost. Those who repent today still do. They are baptized in the mystical body of Christ. Now Peter had commanded them to repent and be converted, that their sins could be blotted out, that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that God might send Jesus Christ, who was preached to them before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken of by the mouth of all of his holy prophets since the world began, even as Moses warned the fathers in Deuteronomy chapter 18, Deuteronomy 18, starting in verse 15. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. According to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see his great fire any more, that I die not. And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass, that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. This is what has just happened. This is what has just taken place in the nation of Israel. And that is what Peter is saying in his message. Even as Moses warned the fathers, their one like him was coming. And if you not receive him, God will require it of you, that God would raise up one for them, a prophet from their brethren, whom they should hear in all things, whatever he says. Those who will not hear that prophet will be utterly destroyed from among the people. As all the prophets foretold these days from Samuel and those who followed, they are the sons of the prophets of the covenant God made with their fathers, saying to Abraham, In your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To them first God sent his servant Jesus to bless them having raised him up to turn every one of them from their iniquities. Yet they rejected him. They rejected the one that was like Moses. They rejected the Christ. They rejected the Messiah. And so now we come to the conclusion of Peter's message. The only conclusion possible to the preaching of Peter was that repentance was desperately needed. These Jews were asked to change their minds about Jesus and change their way of life by turning to the Lord. 
Peter promised that this would bring forgiveness of sins and return of the Lord to establish the kingdom to Israel. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you, and turning away every one of you from his iniquities. Peter promised that this would bring forgiveness of sins and return of the Lord to establish the kingdom promised to Israel.